Hey, Polly, hurry. I don't want to miss the Sean Tester show like you did last week. Plug it in. Plug it in. What radio show is this? The Sean Tester show, of course. When's that? Where's that? Next time, maybe, okay? Next time, maybe. That means no in a woman's language. I know how to speak woman. That's right. <laughs> well, welcome to the Sean Tesher Show. We're live here on the shores of Lake Sawyer in beautiful Black Diamond, Washington. And as always, we invite our callers to call in and suggest topics for each week's show. We are listener-sponsored, and we want to remind you that you are being audio-recorded, and anything you record becomes the property of this show for profit and worldwide distribution on the Internet. Well, this week's topic has to do with free speech on college campuses. Seems to be a wave of Marxist control overcoming students who've decided that they're going to chase down students on campus, including professors, and tell them what they can and can't say to what they describe as their free speech. If it doesn't fit their political viewpoint, then people are going to be attacked and ostracized. And there have been a lot of stories about this lately on the Internet, and I happened to Google it because I got very, very concerned. It reminded me of what happened with the Hitler Youth, and going after and turning in their parents and their neighbors to the state. A lot of people being disappeared to gulags or concentration camps to never be seen again. And I ran across this one article about a lady by the name of Nicole Neely of speechfree.org. And believe it or not, she runs a nonprofit that successfully sued the University of Michigan and got them to reverse their policies on what students wanted and adhere to the law under the Constitution of the United States to actually protect the free speech rights of students on campus, and I may add, and the professors too. Thank God for her. So I've uh, decided I'd get a hold of her and call her up and try and get her on the Sean Teshner show. So with that in mind, let me introduce you to Nicole Neely. And Nicole, thank you for calling the Sean Teshner Show. Uh, this is Nikki. Well, Nicole, I'm very happy to be able to uh, interview you today on the Sean Teshner Show. I was uh, surfing Google and happened to come across uh, the campus climate control system and uh, news stories that were out there. And I'll tell you, my hair stood up on my neck. It reminded me of what's going on. Uh, right now in Europe, especially when it comes to uh, people saying that you can or can't say certain pronouns in regards to gender, uh, and in Canada, and I know they're making a move toward the United States with that in regards to free speech. My family happened to have come from German ancestry, and so I'm very aware of what happened in World War II with the Nazis, the Hitler Youth, and then the Stasi in East Germany where microphones were everywhere and you were encouraged to turn in your neighbor or your family and they'd be disappeared to a gulag somewhere never to be seen again. So my hat comes off to you for your efforts in trying to stand for what's right and stand for uh, free speech in this country. Thank you. Um, how'd you get involved in this? I'm really curious. 
Sure. So I have worked in the advocacy world for about 15 years, and the last position I had was at a group called the Franklin Center for Government and Public Integrity, with state-level investigative journalism. It was created to fill the gap um, as state and local papers were closing. I mean, you know, the newspaper industry is obviously going through a lot of changes. And um, unfortunately, that means that there are fewer eyes on um, governments uh, keeping track of the waste, fraud, and abuse that unfortunately is rampant everywhere, not just at the federal level. Um, and what struck me as kind of a president fundraiser was um, I would look at the traffic reports to see what our readers were interested in. And uh, higher education was always something that seemed to resonate with our readers. Um, and then in talking to the reporters about their experiences in writing about these stories, I was struck by how difficult it was that universities would really hide behind privacy. They wouldn't respond to requests for information. And I thought, you know what? There's something weird going on here. This is not how I remember school being. Mm-hmm. I now have two small children, and I thought, you know, our students deserve better. This is not right what's going on. You know, my first... Um, and so I wanted to create something. I'm sorry. My first exposure to the very beginning, I think, of all this was back in... 1989, when I was finishing up the very last class I had to take to get my bachelor's degree up at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. And I had to take an English 101 class where I had to pass writing. And uh, the lady who happened to be in charge of the class uh, decided to declare that she was um, ACDC, I'll just put it that way. And um, began to talk about her lifestyle and why it was so important, etc. And I finally got fed up and I stood up in class and said, hey, look, I didn't pay X amount of dollars here to be held hostage by your beliefs or your lifestyle. I don't care. I'm here to learn English. Anyways, it ended up uh, with me getting on her bad side and she wanted to flunk me out of the class. I eventually had to go to the dean of the school and ask for another professor to proctor my exam so I could pass the class. I didn't have the money to go take it again. But that was my first exposure to being held hostage on a campus to political correctness. And I think that should be a concern Um, for any student. That certainly takes place all the time. The most frequent complaint I hear from students, because I have students who reach out to me a lot, is um, I either don't express my beliefs because I'm worried I'm going to get a bad grade, or I did express my beliefs and I got a bad grade. What do I do about it? And so students are in a really difficult and untenable position. Um, either keep your head down and keep your mouth shut. Um, don't engage with ideas because you're scared that you're going to face disciplinary repercussions. Or speak out and be dragged through a bureaucratic search chamber process on many campuses. Um, and that's very difficult. And even if students know their rights and want to fight back against it, and unfortunately many students don't know their rights, um, but for those who do, the deck is kind of stacked against them to fight back because you know that if you were to be the person who initiated the lawsuit, um, you'll probably face pushback from the administration. You might not get a scholarship, a letter of recommendation. Um, you would certainly be ostracized by your peers. Your grades might suffer. And so that's a very scary prospect. Um, and then for me, I mean, I'm, I'm an alumni of, I went to the University of Illinois for undergrad. They call me every year asking me for a donation. And I always tell them, no, I will not. I have a problem with how you treat civil liberties on campus. And they say, okay, thanks, and hang up which is unfortunate because I don't give enough money for them to care. And there's something tremendously disempowering about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we are, Speech Force is structured as a membership association. So we file our cases on behalf of our student members that have been harmed. But um, our membership is open not only to students, but also to concerned citizens, alumni, parents, grandparents, people who are angry about what's going on on campus and want to, and want to be a little bit more active. You know, this reminds me of uh, whistleblowers 
that face retaliation uh, when they bring up behaviors that are not acceptable. And I know that college campuses have always been a place where they've encouraged people with different viewpoints to be able to have discourse in a civil manner. And it seems as if all the rules have been thrown out when it comes to civil discourse. And you're talking about retaliation not only on scholarships, but maybe even after you've left campus when it comes to a letter of recommendation from a professor who might be the one writing something that will either allow you or not allow you to get into grad school or get that grant for research or to start somewhere, say, on Wall Street um, because you're the one who has the talent and not because you're uh, politically incorrect. So Right, and, you know, in, our, in my mind, you know, particularly at these public universities, you must uphold the First Amendment, period, full stop. You might not like what some students say, you might not like their viewpoints, but that doesn't mean that you can discourage, condemn, or otherwise punish students for having those viewpoints. That kind of, uh, that kind of bias is unconstitutional, and that's why we have filed a number of lawsuits to defend our student members' rights. And I see that you guys actually won a lawsuit against the University yes, of Michigan. Yeah, our first lawsuit, yeah, our first lawsuit that we filed was against the University of Michigan. Um, we filed that in May 2018. Um, it worked its way through the district court level, and then uh, we moved on to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And in September of this past year, 2019, we got a great decision um, that said just because the university had changed some of their policies after we filed our lawsuit, um, it didn't make the problem go away. The school had argued that because they had changed policies, the lawsuit was moot, um, that it should be thrown out. We said, um, well, not so fast. You did this after you were sued, basically with a stroke of a pen. Why should we trust you that you're not going to go back on your word? Um, the Sixth Circuit agreed with us and said that the lawsuit was not moot, that the way the university did it was a little bit disingenuous. Um, and they also said that we have something called standing, that we were able to challenge um, on behalf of our student members because... The fact that our student members had not been punished by this policy, they, they called the bias response team of the University of Michigan, um, perhaps meant that their speech had been chilled. They found that this policy objectively chilled student speech. And so those are both two um, important rulings. After that, we ended up settling with the university, which agreed to never go back to their previous definitions that we had challenged. They abolished their bias response team, replaced it with something called a campus climate support team. So it would... If I were to file a report against you, it would reach out to me as the reporter and not to the person who was reported on. Um, and we reserved our right to sue if the school is ever used to chill student speech in the future. So we, we consider that a good outcome. I'm surprised you're not in law school. You know, when I'm listening to this, it, it obviously is setting a precedent, not only for your group, but other groups who might want to have the courage to try and take on a big institution. And, you know, myself, I've been a whistleblower. Uh, with the Catholic Church here in Seattle. And I can tell you the level of fear uh, that goes into trying to turn something in, knowing that you may be the only person standing there and everybody has run to hide, is not a fun place to be uh, when you have no faculty standing there with you um, and you know that the person that you're turning in has a lot of dollars. I remember my attorney telling me, well, Sean, you know, you may win this thing and you may get dollars, but you'll never be made to feel whole again. They're never going to say they're sorry because the church is a business and you've basically stepped all over them and you'll probably never get another teaching job. And I'll tell you, after my lawsuit was settled, that was on a Friday, on the following Monday, I, I went to work for a college for the next five and a half years till it closed. So I discovered that all those fears that were vocalized to me didn't necessarily come true. 
I think of Aaron Brockovich and her efforts to try and go against the mining industry and the poisoning of the well water that affected a lot of people. And I think of uh, the people at Hanford in Washington State who have been sickened by the radiation they've been exposed to. Um, you're like another Aaron Brockovich, basically, Nicole. <laughs> I don't know if I would if I would go that far. Um, you know, certainly the way that we're structured, our students are anonymous in our complaint because they do credibly fear disciplinary repercussions. So, in our lawsuits, are listed as student A, student B, student C, um, and then that that way I get the hate mail. The students don't get the hate mail. They get to come to their studies. Um, but we very much appreciate. We learn about our lawsuits or about schools that have problems in a file lawsuit as a result of our students. So um, it does take student bravery, but they don't have to hang it all out there at 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, and we can still affect change, which is exciting. And I saw something else this week in the news. There was a lawsuit settlement for about $25 million for a, a, a student, a male student who was at a Catholic high school. Uh, he was protesting, and a, a Native American man stood up to him and the news spread it all over that he was a hateful person and that he hated Indians, etc. Well, anyway, the, uh, the news networks were sued and they settled out of court finally, and now all the attorneys are fighting over the money, which I thought was less than ironic. Um, but your your organization, I'm sure it's as a nonprofit, isn't it? We are a nonprofit, yes. Yeah, so, how do people donate to you, um, and how do people contact you if they want to make a donation? Sure. So our website is speechfirst.org. Um, there's a portal there called Share Your Story. Um, that will go straight to me if there are students that have problems, if there are parents or grandparents that are concerned about something they've heard from a, a family member. Um, and there's also a donate button there on the website. Um, I would also encourage your listeners to follow us on all the usual social media channels, um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, because we share information about our cases. We still have open litigation against University of Texas, University of Illinois, and Iowa State University. Um, as well as just other cases and other interesting stories around the country that we're keeping an eye on. must be incredibly expensive for you to be able to fundraise for something like this and be able to, um, you know, file lawsuits. How in the world are you doing that? Well, we're very lucky that um, this is an issue that a lot of Americans feel very passionately about. And so um, we're, we're fortunate to have people who reach out and say, hey, I saw you on TV. Hey, I read about your, your lawsuit. Um, I'd like to support. So... Um, we're, we're very blessed. It seems like a lot of these uh, news stories are showing, you know, especially on YouTube, uh, students who are on the far left who are rushing up against people that they deem on the far right based on looks, maybe a short haircut or some sort of baseball hat, who are just wanting to mind their own business walking across the campus, and all of a sudden they're surrounded or they're doxxed, meaning that they're their private information is published on the internet or in a text message, and suddenly they're bum-rushed by a whole bunch of people at their home or at their dormitory or elsewhere, screaming at them with microphones and megaphones and screaming in their ears and just making absolute jerks out of themselves because they want to spread a message of, of what I consider hate. And what I think is interesting is that your organization, by filing a lawsuit and winning, has basically used their own stick against them, their own policies against discrimination and harassment. And I thought that was an ingenious tactic myself. You've really turned the tables on them, and they're the ones running in fear now. Well, I, I'm, to be clear, I'm not the one who is, you know, doxing or, or bullhorning or, or, you know, bum-rushing anybody. Um, what we are trying to do is we are trying to hold universities, 
accountable to their obligations under the Constitution. Thank um, you. Universities, public universities, are state actors. They have to uphold the First Amendment for their students, period, full stop. Um, you know, for students that pressure or that threaten each other, that's unfortunate. I can't do a lot about that. That's not something that I'm getting involved in. I'm not suing students for attacking each other. Um, but I am, I do believe that many of these universities have their thumb on the scale. And by their actions or lack of action in, um, in holding some of these perpetrators accountable, they are sending a message to the student body. Some viewpoints are considered more valuable than others. Well, I, I Universities cannot do that. Universities have to respect everybody's rights. I value what you're saying because it seems like um, there's been a real movement here in Washington State at Evergreen State College uh, to try and attack professors who may not, um, you know, lean to the side that they're, the protesters are on. I know Jordan Peterson in the uh, University of Ontario in Canada was horribly attacked by students uh, because he was against pronoun usage being uh, criminalized in Canada. And I know that there's been an effort to try and do that, even in, in New York, criminalizing free speech uh, by calling someone an illegal alien. You can be fined up to $250,000 now, which is a violation of the First Amendment. And um, that kind of stuff kind of creeps its way this, word, this way. The old saying is what happens in California happens to the rest of the country. Well, that started out in New York. And so I'm seeing it as both ends squeezed against the middle here in this country. Yeah, I mean, certainly what's happening on campus isn't staying on campus. Um, and these kind of, this kind of intolerance for ideas that are not, you know, that are, that are different or alien to our own is really unfortunate. Certainly, it's, you know, it's not just limited to colleges. As you said, it's, you know, it's in cities, it's in different states. Um, but there used to be a time when individuals would be able to civilly disagree with each other. I might not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say so. Um, you know, there's, we used to have a lot more debating, you know, college, uh, model, model UN and stuff. Um, I would love to see that kind of civility be restored to the public sphere. Um, you know, there are politicians who um, are, are prefer to attack others than uh, rather than debate it out to civilly disagree. Um, so this is something I think that's incumbent on all of us, students as well as parents as well as faculty, college administrators, um, just because we disagree with each other doesn't mean that we need to dehumanize each other. And if somebody uses language with which you dislike, with which you disagree, the solution is not to censor them and shut them up. The solution is to meet with counter speech, maybe persuade that person, maybe try and change their mind, but not to ostracize, attack, and abuse them. You know, Nicole, I was reading a little bit about your background also on Google, and it mentioned, um, and I, I want to state this because, again, coming from the German side, uh, people who were against the Nazis got disappeared to camps, never to be seen again. And then, of course, the Russian and the East Germans, same thing. Uh, Paul Pot in Cambodia. All these people that were against the political ideas of the establishment were suddenly disappeared. And the fear of being rounded up and sent to a gulag uh, because you disagree with what's going on with government, is terrifying. And I noticed that in your background, it said that, and you, you can correct me on this, that some family members ended up in Manzanar? Yes, I am Japanese-American on my father's side. So my grandparents actually met in an internment camp. So that's why, I mean, to me, today, to see students that are calling for, they're asking administrators to put more restrictive policies in place. They're asking for people's rights to be taken away. That's such a sad thing to me, because you're kind of assuming that the government, the administration is always going to be on your side. And it is not necessarily. Um, 
I don't care what letter is next to somebody's name. I don't feel comfortable trusting a government official with that kind of authority ever, period. Yeah, because they could, they could use that power and abuse it by sending you to a re-education camp if your, your thoughts are dangerous or might hurt someone's feelings. Right. Unfortunately, the window of what is acceptable uh, is very narrow these days, and it, and it, it keeps shifting, um, and so it's hard to keep track of what is okay and what is not okay, and that's why it's so important for us to defend speech with which we disagree as much as it is to defend the speech that with, with which we agree. I guess it, de- it depends on who defines what's acceptable. Exactly, and I don't trust, I don't trust the government to, make that de- to do that defining. Thank God for you. Well, Nicole, um, is there anything else you want to throw out there, uh, a plug for your organization, or can people get a hold of you personally? I noticed that even for my show to try and get a hold of you, we had to go through a public relations firm, which is kind of a big filter, but I thought maybe that's to protect you from all these people who want to dox you. Well, I'm the only employee, so I, I have a lot on my plate. But, yeah, certainly you can use the portal on our website to get in touch with us. I encourage everybody to um, follow us on social media as well as to join. Membership is only $5, and like I said before, it's only it's open both to students as well as concerned citizens. So um, parents, grandparents, alumni, people who love the First Amendment and are frustrated about what's going on on campus or in the country. We believe there's strength in numbers, um, and so the more the merrier. We'd like to show these students that, you don't have to fight this alone, that there are thousands of Americans who also want to stand with you and believe in, in your in your First Amendment rights. Um, now, if people want to donate, is that by PayPal, by credit card, or just mailing you a check? I mean, I obviously, if you're a nonprofit, the, yeah, it's a write-off. All of the above. Okay. Yeah, it's all of the above. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and since we're a nonprofit, it is tax deductible. Well, wonderful, folks. I hope you can donate to Nicole and her organization because... If it weren't for people like her having the courage to uh, stand the line um, and not have people standing behind them, but stand alongside them uh, on the battle lines, if it weren't for people like her, this country wouldn't exist. I remember there was a, a saying by Ben Franklin once where a lady was coming out of church, and she thanked Mr. Franklin for saving the country, and he said, Ma'am, we may have saved your country, but you've got a greater task. And she said, What's that? And he said, Holding on to it. So thanks for you being out there and helping us hold on to the country, Nicole. And thank you for being on the Sean Tester Show today. Now, on my show, if you leave, you have a choice. You can uh, be chased by zombies, be taken out by the mafia, flushed, or go out with a car bomb. Take your pick. (laughs) Um, Zombies, I guess. Zombies it is. Here we go. Thanks for being on the show today, Nicole. Bye-bye. Folks, if you haven't already met him, his name is Joel Higgins. He's the owner of Guaranteed Cleaning Service, and he's been in the Black Diamond, Maple Valley, Covington area for the last 35 years, and he specializes in carpet cleaning, doing repairs to carpet, stretching carpet, doing tile grout cleaning, floor stripping, and waxing. And if you don't have his number, his cell number is 206-817-2736 or work phone 253-631-5448. Guaranteedcleaning.net. 
place you would definitely call if you want some work done on cleaning your, your furniture, your cars, cars carpeting, anything in your home. I know my folks have used them more than once. My wife and I have used them at least twice. And they've done excellent work. I've never had to call them back. And they guarantee their work. So again, if you want someone who's professional, who knows flooring, ask for Joel or for Tony at Guaranteed Cleaning Service and tell them that you heard about them on the Sean Teshner Show. I want to thank my guests for calling in, and hopefully uh, others will decide to either email their comments or call me directly and share them with the Sean Teshner Show. Till then, next week, remember we are a listener-supported broadcast. If you'd like to donate, please get a hold of us here at trashner at hotmail.com, or you can call direct 425-247-8827. Thanks for listening. This podcast you do is is a an expression and an outreach from what you do best, Sean.